1: G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1396, entitled, There Must Be An Upside to the Downside. Our podcast title is, Poddy One Kenobi.
0: (laughs) I knew you were going to, I was, I saw you giggle before the show and I was like, I bet you who's going to do a potty one.
1: (laughs) I am Rob Jan.
0: And Megan McHugh.
1: Wow, there's so much on in the genre at the moment. It's that season. And yes. Oh, my goodness. We've got Stranger Things Season 4 and mm-hmm. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Star Wars television series. So I think we'll stick with those for today, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Hmm. Now, I reckon we might. Actually, start our little sojourn off with a bit of music from Stranger Things. Sounds good. And this is the main title theme from Stranger Things Volume One Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein. Gosh, it was a long time ago when I, not in a galaxy far, far away, in a small town in the USA, back in the Mm. 1980s. And when I went to watch. Season four of Stranger Things, this is a Netflix
0: show, just dropped mm-hmm. some episodes, not the full season. I No, we'll talk about the new interesting structure that they've taken this time. I forgot to
1: reset it to season four. So we actually watched the first five minutes of season one and thinking, is this a big flashback? But no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, and they're also looking so young. So let's go back to that. Original one, Stranger Things Season 1. Triple R. Ooh. Back in Synth City there, back in the 80s there, Stranger Things, the main title theme from Volume 1. I should call them volumes, not chapters or seasons because that's the way they panned it out. Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein there, uh, the composers from the Stranger Things album. Now, there's Three of those now, and you can get all of those on iTunes or Amazon, wherever they, you get them from. You might even have hard copies of them. But we have been watching Stranger Things Season 4 on Netflix, and before I actually mm-hmm. watched it, there was a, uh, a recap. Yes. Mm-mm-mm-mm. But we can't show you that here, so Megan will give us an idea of what's going on in the Stranger Things-verse.
0: Yes, the much anticipated volume 4 has dropped, and as you mentioned, Rob, they sort of call each episode a chapter and it's all set up very episodic. But our favorite nostalgic sci-fi slash fantasy slash horror retro roller coaster is back on Netflix uh, and it includes all of our favorites plus some new allies and some new enemies as well, both of the human variety and the not so human variety. Um The show's creators, the Duffer Brothers, are back, of course. They've got very strong hands on the helm of this ship. And uh, so this season is produced by them along with Sean Levy who's returning his involvement has been there throughout. Also, Dan Cohen and Ian Patterson. Now, there are nine episodes in the whole of this season, season four, and we got seven episodes at the end of May, May 27th. So, seven are up there now ready for you to binge. So, I will say um, we'll talk a little bit about that today, but obviously no spoilers because it's not been out that long. So, we want to give you some time to really soak it up. But of the seven episodes, you might think, oh, nine-episode season, that's not very long. Well, you'd be mistaken because there is so much content. Each episode in the first drop, so I think they're calling it like season four, volume one or whatever. So the first seven, they're all over an hour long, and the last episode of that volume, episode seven, is like one and a half hours long. So. We have a lot of, a lot, a lot of minutes here and you'll see sort of why uh, we've got a lot of characters to follow basically. Now the second volume is going to come out uh, July 1st. So that's a very specific decision they've made because I think the break uh, at season, at episode seven is going to be a cliffhanger of some type. I haven't got there yet, but I'm assuming that's why they're going to make us wait for the last two episodes. And those two are kind of movie length productions. So episode eight will be an hour and a half and episode nine, the season finale will be two and a half hours. So speculation that's the longest episode of TV that kind of exists. So, yeah, so we've got plenty of minutes in uh, to be spent in this new season. And like I said, it makes sense because of just the sheer number of characters and storylines and now locations that we have Mm. to be across. So there's a couple of parallel storylines we're juggling. And of course, we return to Hawkins, Indiana, which is our <laughs> home of the upside down um, from previous seasons, but there's other locations introduced as well. Um, and yeah, kind of these distinct factions that we're following along with. So each of those needs to be fleshed out and so we can follow along. So I think that's contributing to the the mass amount of minutes that we've got. Um, So I can give you a little bit of a rundown of where we're at. So It does a pretty good job of catching us up straight away as we kick off the first episode. So we do wonder uh, how are Will, Eleven, Joyce and Jonathan all going in California, which is where they moved at the end of Season 3 after the Battle of Starcourt Mall and that whole (laughs) fiasco. Uh, So, well, we learn, and this is not a spoiler, you know, not so good actually. Um, There's some heartbreaking scenes that we see of Eleven struggling to fit in at high school and and some great set pieces that are roller rink as well as we sort of explore a little bit about the lives that they're living as they escaped Hawkins, or did they? <laughs> um, does have a habit of dragging you back in. And speaking of Hawkins, back in um, our familiar little town in Indiana, Mike and Dustin are now navigating the perils of high school and um, – kind of facing the reality that the core, their core D&D party, their ride-or-die group of friends, they're all growing apart a bit as their interests shift. Uh, Lucas is now on the basketball team and he's kind of got some new friendships and meeting new people. Max is grieving the loss of Billy, which happened at the end of uh, Season 3 in a quite spectacular fashion, but she's still finding her feet um, and kind of figuring. She's in a bit of a dark place actually. Mm. and. Um, for our older cohort, Steve, Goodhair Harrington <laughs> and Robin of, of uh, Scoops Ahoy are now still working at the video store that we saw a glimpse of at the end of Season 3 and that provides one of our great retro set pieces for the season. And, of course, Nancy are uh, still investigating stories and getting into mischief as uh, kind of editor ahead of the school paper. And then the biggest question hanging over us all is what happened hopper of course <laughs> so we do of course learn a little bit um and this isn't i don't think a spoiler because it's been in all of the promotion material that hopper is hopper is he's, he's got his own I, I know what's happened
1: to him uh he is elsewhere <laughs> in the in the uh, in the world uh, look, we know we know from the events of season three and season two, etc. There was a there was a Soviet um, incursion mm-hmm. into the Hawkins uh, National Laboratories, which is just outside of Hawkins, the town. And we pretty much know from the trailer and everything that uh, Hopper has been spirited off to the USSR, and yes. there the scientists and they're always scientists have experimented upon him and injected him with super soldier serum now this means that he becomes the red guardian
0: (laughs) (laughs) the crossover that we were
1: (laughs) not expecting so yeah okay i have no idea
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right that was like widow that was like widow um but no, I think it is fair to say that as part of the promotional materials, we also get a bit of a Russian prison vibe going on as well. So in this mishmash, I mean, Stranger Things has always been a bit of a mishmash of uh, genres and, and uh, locations. And so we're now really leaning into that Russian involvement, <laughs> snowy incarceration as well. So, you know, that's kind of where we start off. But of course, all is never well in Hawkins or with any of these characters, if you can say. Uh, and so there is a new mystery afoot, some new characters to get to know, some unexplained deaths to investigate, some pretty gnarly ones, to be honest. And um, so even more challenges considering how split up and distant everybody is from each other, both in miles, because we are in America but also emotionally because we're working through a little bit of turmoil as well, which I think we can have guessed that they're going to explore more of that now that the cast, some of the cast is older. We're all kind of looking at teens and above now. So, Yeah, I actually had to struggle to identify some of them Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's How's tricky that? when you start a show at the age they all started at. Those actors, obviously, they're going to grow quickly, and so unless you know, time is going to pass. They're all looking, um, they're all looking older, and I think they're really leaning into that. So I hope there's some some epic payoff coming uh, in this season because they've already started introducing some new themes, some different threads emerging, some frustrating. Plots, uh, so I think um, everything's kind of bubbling along. How far are you into this new season so far? Will? I've watched the first episode, um, which, mm-hmm. as you were saying, is very much a catch-up on where the
1: characters yes. are. You know, it feels like we're we're getting the seven samurai together separately, mm. <laughs> separately, yes. and working out. How far they've advanced and what they're doing. And that's, you know, that was quite standard. And it almost swamped my ability to cope with high school drama because they're in high school yeah. now, you know, I'm not mm. not good on that normally and they just reached my threshold of it and hovered below it. So I think that was all right because, of course, things do go pear-shaped quite quite quickly in this first episode because, you know, they've got a lot to get for it. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the pacing of it is very much an 80s horror movie, very, very yes. much. Uh, I felt like I was in evil dead territory Mm-hmm. and uh, in a few other places as well, you know, it was a bit poltergeisty and, you know. And I, yep. Yep. if I had found out that, say, Stephen King had written the screenplay for this, I would not be surprised.
0: I, yeah, totally agree. And that's, I mean, a distinct decision they've made. It feels much more mature. I right away agree with you. It felt darker. Mm. It's much more gruesome. And the whole energy is much more of a horror situation rather than previous seasons have lent a bit more into kind of Yaguni's fantasy or even just um teen, you know, teen kind of supernatural. Whereas I think this is really hitting the horror note, which is fun because we've had some great, you know, we've just come off the back of Doctor Strange. So it'll be interesting to see how dark they go with this because I suppose I mean, I wonder in terms of the audience, it was never really a kids' show. No. But I guess they're now thinking that they can take some more risks with the content. Um really it just yes, there's some more graphic <laughs> deaths, quite frankly. And it, it does feel like the tone, the tone shift means it feels a bit newer because the the struggle that I was worried was obviously Stranger Things for Me season two felt more of the same. It was a bit forgettable, a bit blah. And then three was good because they pivoted and they did something new. They introduced them all. They introduced a couple of other um, interesting plots, the whole Russian theme. So I think if they're going to continue to push and make some changes and introduce some fresh ideas, um, I'm, I'm keen to see where that's going to go. Let's say that. What did you think about where they took the characters? You know, like uh, Will is painting now.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jonathan is smoking weed. Uh, and, of course, Dusty's a hacker. I mean, you know, it's just,
0: you know. I thought that was perfect. To be honest, I think it, it all fit, and I did like. I know what you mean about the high school drama, but I did like the idea that, you know, Lucas is kind of he's he's into sports now. He's more athletic, and and you know they're kind of used to being this band of losers that stick together, and you go, oh, okay, like, can I maybe not blame Lucas for wanting to try to carve out a different life in high school? But then it's also like these guys are your friends. So it it is, and, you know, I think they're really going to play with that. They're really going to push that from what I can tell, that separation idea. Uh, And I I think some of the cast described the theme of the season as Scooby-Doo meets Zodiac Killer, which I thought was funny. Yeah, well, you know, there is a
1: a sense that um, we're in a, a place that's just as strange as the original town in California—is it? What's it called? Uh, Lenora, something like that. Yeah, yeah,
0: Lenora. That's right. Yep, yep.
1: Probably up the road from Sunnydale, I'd say.
0: Gosh, I mean, yeah. And if it is, then they're definitely in for some trouble. <laughs> but I think, um, I think part of the. The interesting thing is going to be how they bring the characters together, because for me, I think I am going to want to have characters converge, storylines converge, and so on. So, the other thing to note is we do get some flashbacks, mm. so we get learn a little bit more about uh, Eleven's history. We learn a little bit more about the facility, and I am only a couple of episodes in, so I am interested to see. I know there is we've got some returning characters of interest from that whole experimental research plot mm. so i'll be keen to see what their role is and and what we're what we're doing there the other thing too that they introduced pretty quickly is there was a real like shade of satanic panic i guess around D in the 80s mm. and so it was linked with having been an influence on um some teenagers and it was all a bit of a mistaken thing but there really was a bit of a a crowd panic around D and D, and what was it doing to our kids? And it was satanic worship, etc. And that hadn't really been introduced in the show before, from memory. So I'm I'm interested that they've they've introduced that now, and it seems to be kind of a key part of some of the plot. And it's fascinating
1: that what they've actually done is uh, they compare and contrast it with activities on this in the sporting arena yeah. when they're doing D and D. And I love the fact that uh, Priya Ferguson's character Erica Sinclair. Uh, yeah. Lucas is her older brother. She's now sort of mm-hmm. inherited the mantle of, of D&D yeah. gamer and she's terrific. If Marvel wants to cast a character called Moon Girl, go to Priya Ferguson. She's the perfect age and everything. Absolutely yeah. terrific. She's got the attitude and she's great.
0: I, um, I really like she her. She was character. a fan favourite. Yeah. So, yeah, they've upped her role, I think, because she – was a bit of a favourite of season three, but I mean that's again. How would you feel if you, you know, you were kind of replaced by your younger sister, and but then you're also like, well, Luke, you know, you're making these decisions. So anyway, they're very much leaning into the, the parallels, but also the differences of the group of friends. What I thought was was pretty interesting too is um, that it's it all feels a bit more distorted now. Like it used to be, you the, the the core part was the friendship. And you kind of had a very clear enemy and very everyone had their very clear roles. Like it lends a lot into stereotypes, for better or worse. And now it all feels everything's a bit in chaos. People are, you know, not where they would normally be. People aren't communicating. And a lot of the warm feelings of the earlier seasons in regards to we can do anything if we stick together, they feel a bit farther away. So I'm hoping we're going to build that rapport um, and I can see little glimmers of it, and I really want that to start shining through because I fear it's going to be quite get quite grim before it gets <laughs> hopeful, but that's just my little feeling, and I'm not, like I said, I'm only three episodes in. You realise this is another 80s cinema
1: trope too because in mm-hmm. the late 70s, um, 80s, we were getting sequels,
0: mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, franchise
1: mm-hmm. films. I don't even know if they were calling them franchises back then, to tell you the truth. but. <laughs> You know, so you would like get uh, Star Trek movies and Terminator movies, Aliens, mm. and so on, Mm-mm. and you would be pulling characters. Star Wars, in particular, pulling characters mm. back together, and yes, you know yes. there was very much a feeling of that, and I, and I feel that's a trope for this Stranger Things yeah. as well. One thing that yeah. that just popped into my head out of the blue: mm. Hawkins High School is so well cashed up; <laughs> it's got a <laughs> A magnificent sporting auditorium. They've got mm-hmm. uniforms and cheerleading teams and mascots mm-hmm. and digital signs, old fashioned digital signs too. Well yeah. 80s ones. You know, and I'm just thinking, there's a hell of a lot of money in this town. I realise some of it's just from normal corporate sponsorship, but I guess there's some kind of backflow from the Hawkins Labs as well. You know. Oh, ah yeah. I don't know very why. It's just, interesting. To me this feels like a very good bit of world building mm, you know mm, what I mean mm. I mean it's, Star Wars sometimes for example I find interesting world building thing, but it's usually very shallow yes you, know, mm. you, you take your boots off and you can't really wade very deep in it but this one yeah. this is like oh uh, there's things going on here in the background above ground yeah and below <laughs> ground too so
0: yeah I think as well uh to note on that kind of world building. Again, it's a time and place thing. We're set 86 now. The fashion is, again, you know, they're really having a lot of fun with dressing the cast in the 80s fashion and there's some great for movie buffs, there's some good little and throwaway kind of nods coming up in, in, you know, one of the episodes I've watched recently, which is quite fun too because, I mean, this is something that's marinated in its references and in terms of the new tone, I saw like a quote that one of the Duffer brothers was kind of explaining what they'd had to do for season four and he was saying when they originally pitched it, they pitched that the kids were the Goonies in E.T., and the adults were in Jaws or Close Encounters as a third kind. And then the teenagers are in like a Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween. But they've said now there's no kids. So they've had to rethink exactly what it is, the what the vibe is. And so they've said explicitly that, yeah, they're leaning into the horror movie stuff and that that's the distinct direction they're going in. So, and I think if if we're name dropping things like Zodiac killer and so on, I think they're really going to go down much more of that dark kind of um, horror atmosphere, which I think, and I mean, you know, because they've also cast, um, Robert, I don't know if I should say. Robert England. Exactly. Mm. So um, Freddy Krueger yeah. himself, right? Yes.
1: Well, Edward, so, Edward Scissorhands' he, brother at least. <laughs>
0: yeah, Yeah. exactly. All in the family. Um yeah, because it all comes back to Winona. But, yeah, so I think, again, they're making this distinct decision. So it'll be interesting to see how horrific, mm. how how horrific we go. What's your thoughts on, do you think you're going to binge, try and binge watch this, just pick it up as you go? Has it grabbed you after the first? Because you're right, it's a lot of foundation laying in Episode 1.
1: Yeah, Not yet. It hasn't grabbed me yet, but now that we've got over Mm -hmm. that bump of recap and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. telling us where everyone is, I think we can move on from that, you know. And speaking of which, we'll have a track now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the last few minutes of season three of Stranger Things, well, you know, they really got sort of deep and meaningful. And so, of course, when you're doing these shows with a lot of tropes in them that are anchored in time – decade by decade, you're always going to turn to David Bowie for a musical track. And so, of course, they used uh, Heroes at the end of that volume, so season, uh, volume three, and they didn't actually use Bowie. They used Peter Gabriel covering it. Now, that's an odd choice because uh, Gabriel was doing a project called Scratch My Back, came out in 2010. And what he was doing was covering songs by people like uh, Arcade Fire, Radiohead, Lou Reed, Vampire Weekend, and so on. And Bowie didn't actually get into this project himself. But since Heroes is sort of kind of co-written, then he actually went ahead with that anyway. So, you know, he got got away with that. (laughs) But it just seems to me that that kind of little offbeat way of using that track. Actually paid tribute to the themes of Stranger Things anyway. So possibly just as well. <laughs> so here we have Peter Gabriel's Heroes, a cover of David Bowie's classic song. This is Annie Lee. And I'm Maure Kransky of the Kransky
0: Sisters. And you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Lock up your meat safe and beware of the machine with the claw.
1: Peter Gabriel, Scratching My Back is the name of the album, but it's the hero's cover from, well, in context of what we've been talking about, it was used at the end of Stranger Things Volume 3, and now we're talking about Volume 4, which we've seen a few episodes of.
0: Yeah, so I think um, just, you know, kind of a bit of a first impressions overview, I guess. It's set up well to kind of I'm very intrigued by what some of the characters that sort of have less screen time, how their journeys are going to go. So obviously I think uh, Millie Bobby Brown is fantastic as Eleven and they're really kind of leaning into, and again, not a secret at the end of season three, um, it's hinted that her powers are gone. And so she's kind of struggling to not only fit in in high school, but like kind of figuring out who she is um, without them, I suppose. And so, you know, she's kind of always been a bit of a centerpiece and she really does hold up that emotional kind of load. What I'm interested to see based off what I've seen so far is Lucas's arc. I think they're really putting in some footnotes and roadblocks there for him to go either in in one of two directions. And I'm very curious as to how that's going to play out and certain decisions he's going to make and where his kind of allegiances will go. Uh, I mean, I think the show also knows what its audience likes. So that's things like the Steve and Dustin pairing. Um, That's things like Robin and Steve have a really good dynamic. And they're doing some interesting things in the teenage realm um with Nancy and Jonathan who are together at this time but living, you know, opposite sides of the country and um kind of what the future holds for them because they're finishing high school as well, need to go plan their future lives, go off to college and so on. And so, and the other one, of course, the kind of I think – side red herring to keep an eye on is max so she's going through a pretty hard time and we're seeing a bit more of her Mm -hmm. and i think they're really looking to use more of her this season and um really she's a little bit of a portal into some of the events that have been set up and that are going to go on in season four from what i can tell so i'm very curious as to how that's going to play out as well and the final one is will who poor will has (laughs) had such an interesting role in season one and two And, you know, we didn't get to know him in the same way in the early setup. And then some interesting tidbits have been dropped in the past about Will. And I I can see them also setting up some interesting ideas about Will and his feeling of loss of the friendship. And also maybe some some other stuff with him that I'm curious to see if they'll explore that and if that's actually a storyline that they're going to pursue. So a lot of threads that I'm really keen on. I love Stranger Things. I always have. I know that it's Um, it's a very, it's kind of an oversaturated property in some ways now, but I love everything it's referencing. And I really, I like the characters and I enjoy the journeys. And so I just, I'm worried about the number of characters and how they're going to pull it all together and how they're going to juggle that over the season. But at the moment I'm, I'm, I'm here for the ride and I'm pretty engaged. But again, it's, it's something that I was probably always going to like. So. Have
1: we already done a, uh, Stranger Things prom episode? Have they had the prom? I, I can't remember from the other seasons.
0: I don't think they've done oh, no. any. It's high oh no, there was one.
1: Yeah, it was there, one.
0: no, there was one at the end of season three. There was a dance, um, and Steve was helping prep. Yes, um, Dustin and and so on. So there, and there was a dance, um, and we left things in some ways on a happy note. And then we're really in. It's already started off. It's everyone's in much more turmoil. Um, or maybe that was yeah I can't quite remember but yeah I wonder how much I think they're probably going to crack on with the action I think some of the the high school stuff might take a background that's not related to the direct the direct yeah because there's a few things you haven't seen yet so we'll yeah.
1: see I feel like another film they're channeling is Carrie as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for the yeah I'm waiting for the the full nightmare <laughs> of that and. In terms of 80s cinema tropes, I'm just thinking about every time I, I, I smile, every time they they do a, an action jump cut from one scene and then they go to sprinklers on a lawn yeah. or to paper being guillotined in a printing office or, you know, that sort of thing. That, that makes me chuckle a lot. <laughs> and, of course, it's a very bad idea to bully Eleven.
0: Yeah, but I think that's the thing is you I agree. And then it's like you know like what you know that she her history and then it's like but now she is actually quite helpless. Um, or is she? You know that's that's
1: just building up dramatic tension, I feel you know
0: there's yeah, I mean they're not going to introduce a, a total stone cold. <laughs> bitchy high school character, um, if we're not gonna be rooting for some kind of come up yeah, exactly. for sure. But I think as well it's setting the scene of, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. Like eleven is she's they're afloat, they're in they're in California in totally unfamiliar environment and what they've done so much that but still, she's the victim of some, uh, the old high school bullying. I liked the, a character who they
1: haven't. I didn't feel like they'd made much of him before, and I can't actually remember if he's been in previous shows. The guy who's the dungeon master, but also Hawkins—he's new. Yeah, I thought he was new. Uh, Hawkins, friendly neighborhood drug dealer. Uh, yes. I feel very much that if we were watching this back in the eighties, he'd actually be played by Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> you know, there's a sort of a, he's, a wicked but laconic and a bit of a rogue but also maybe a bit of a nice guy. You know, it's just inter- yeah. interesting inflections in the character.
0: His original intro, I was like, oh, no, this guy's really annoying. But then there's some more scenes where you're like, oh, he's just a regular dude. This is a lot of showboating. Mm. So I think... Um, It'll be interesting. Yes, I think he'll become quite pivotal. Mm. So, Look, I'm on board. Yeah, there's a couple of new characters.
1: I'm on board now. Um, I'm okay with it. Um, Mm -hmm. It depends on how far we go back over old ground or under it. Uh, But, yeah, Mm. I'm not disappointed so far. I I will give people a warning. There is a lot of
0: strobe lighting in this. And it does have that noted as well. But, yeah, good call out.
1: Um, Oh, and also in in the United States, obviously with the recent – tragedy in texas um they have they put a title card up warning people uh, that there would be some badness happening to yeah. children and so on in this show so i guess you know uh, yeah just good to flag yeah yeah all right um well let's go I, overall encouraging i think for a fourth season of a show certainly
0: Absolutely. And I'm, I'm keen to maybe we'll revisit it a little bit once we've watched it all and people have had a chance to get across it and see what we think. Um, that is, of course, Stranger Things. It's on Netflix. Seven episodes are out now over seven hours of content because each episode runs over an hour long. And then you've got to wait till July for the last two episodes. So if you're keen to get to that cliffhanger, um, there's plenty there to binge now. All right, well, let's jump to
1: some music from the Obi Wan Kenobi series. (laughs) That's so hard for me to say. (laughs) I cannot say that like three times fast. (laughs) Uh, That would be a Jedi skill all in its own if I could manage that. I actually am not too fond of the music that they used for the theme, in the actual theme. Interesting. But I'm all okay with the version. Of Jewel of the Fates, John Williams' track from Mm -hmm. Phantom Menace, that they used in the trailer for it, uh, which I always Mm -hmm. thought was quite Mm -hmm. a a ripping little bit of music. And it's this one sort of done by Shadow Strider. You know, these ones, they always put them out as separate releases in themselves. So let's hear that the Obi Wan Kenobi teaser trailer. Dath this is Gareth David Lloyd, Yanto Jones from Torchwood. You're listening to Zero G on 3 FM. Take a seat, I've just put the kettle on the trailer for Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi the series which has just dropped on Disney Plus two episodes Mm. two episodes for now actually you've got to do that like Yoda "Mm." (laughs) you're (laughs) gonna dropped it has (laughs) (laughs) yeah so two episodes for now and then they're going to do it week by week that was the a reworking of John Williams' Duel of the Fates music from The Phantom Menace, uh, mm-hmm. and I think actually a better, <laughs> better track than they actually use for the um, Obi Wan theme for the show itself when they get to that. Uh, have a few riffs in from um, you know the Skywalker saga and uh, Luke's theme, Darth Vader, yeah. yada yada yada, all that yeah. sort of stuff. The
0: familiar little light motifs that we all know and love. And that's how the first episode actually starts.
1: Really, they give you a recap. For those yes. of you who hadn't seen the prequels, and let me tell you, if I'd been able to watch the prequels like that in about under four
0: minutes, yeah,
1: I would consider myself very fortunate indeed
0: i I did actually that was very useful because I like probably many have only seen the prequels once per movie, and I had kind of wanted to have that recap it it there was something weird about it though. In that it's the first time I've actively thought about a TV series picking up from a movie trilogy. That obviously, like I know it does happen a lot, especially now. But to have the recap be of film footage from a long time ago, it was a bit. It was it was a little bit weird, but um, makes a lot of sense considering a lot of our favourites are returning to reprise their roles. Mm. So we're in very
1: much. The same territory, physical territory, as the Mandalorian and uh, the Book of Boba Fett, because it's largely at the start, at least, set on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this is uh, Obi Wan Kenobi cunningly disguising mm-hmm. his name by calling himself Ben Kenobi.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is yeah. That is that. Oh, no note- Jedi smarts. <laughs> note to
1: Jedi knights: don't disguise yourselves with hooded robes even if it yeah even if it's what the the uh, the garb of choice for desert dwellers on Tatooine it's just a bit of a giveaway as is wearing your lightsaber on your belt and revealing it when you shush that cloak aside you know <laughs> oh
0: but that that really that was for us that was for the us. audience
1: yeah and about the 50 imperial probe robots that we were watching and the street scanners and the bounty hunters and everybody else who didn't see it actually so that was all good <laughs> look there are some things that we shouldn't really tell you about this because they will be quite fan-important, and so uh, we will not go there about some of the other characters in okay. this story. Uh, but obviously Ewan McGregor reprises his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi, sort of stuck between that the portrayal of a younger Obi-Wan and the much older one that uh, Alec Guinness did in the original movie, and... He is actually always note perfect on this. He mm. he puts in the work on the character. He invests the emotion that you need given the horrific events of those prequels. The very existence of those prequels is a horrific event in my opinion. <laughs> if I'd actually seen this series uh, mm. without any of the other stuff, I almost would have been happy. Uh, mm. As it is now also in context of The Mandalorian and Boba Fett, I'm a bit bored with Tatooine. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad they don't spend too much time there to start with.
0: Yes, we set off on our adventure, unnamed adventure, uh, pretty quick, which I was relieved because, like you, I was like, I can't just do him riding around on the dunes looking put upon. <laughs> like, I love you and McGregor, and he's why I'm here. Like, he's. So charismatic, obviously, and I think he's a real centerpiece of this. I cannot just watch him mope around on Tatooine for this whole thing
1: or clean toilets, as he's probably doing for a living. <laughs> Why am I thinking of Train Spotting? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that's right, because there's an anti gravity train in this, as usual on Tatooine. <laughs> okay, actually, he seems to be doing a fairly humble job because, of course, remember he's one—he's the last Jedi. Supposedly, and he's trying to keep under the radar of the Empire. He's trying to keep an eye on young Luke Skywalker, who's mm-hmm. who's growing up on a moisture farm. God help him! And mm-hmm. you know, Joel Ed- Edgerton is is crusty and still not happy with Obi Wan's interference in the life of yes. somebody who he's taken on board as sort of a as a, an adopted son. Mm. You know, and. There's all of that stuff that we know from the movies and that. My big problem with this is really just on me. I am really get bored by the whole Skywalker saga. I was on board for the first three movies and after that I thought, yeah, I'm done. I don't want to see any more of this. If you're going to do it, give me some some proper sequels. I I thought that they did capture Obi-Wan's character quite well, although I feel like they haven't really given him much of a – a sense of the whimsy and humour that I remember from those, from the Phantom Menace and so on. Uh, and also mm. from Alec Guinness's performance, you know, there's a little mm. bit of what am I doing here, <laughs> you know.
0: I mean, it's early days though. Yeah. I mean, this is where he's just come, well, not just come off the back of that tragedy, but, you know, he's at a low. This is his low, right? Yeah. And he probably hasn't been a recluse for long enough to grow back his sense of humour. Yeah, he's not backed
1: into the whole Zen Jedi Mm. master-type thing yet, which obviously Mm. is something that's funny. (laughs) Uh, Joby Harold is the showrunner for this and executive producing with a bunch of other people in this. Uh, And we've seen their work before on movies like uh, Edge of Tomorrow and King Arthur Legend of the Sword, which is not really Mm. a good advertisement for anyone, Um, the Mm. Zack Snyder Army of the Dead. And John Wick. Oh. John Wick, Chapter 3. Uh, I've not seen any of John Wick. Any of those. And he's working on um, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Good luck okay. with that.
0: Maybe let's not delve into the filmography.
1: Yeah. But, you know, here he is doing this. He has worked with um, Hayden Christensen before as well. So mm. he's got some chops there with the actor. And I, you know, look, I don't want to buy into that whole let's bully all of these. Early actors who play Darth mm. Vader and all that sort of stuff. I think it's a, I think it's a real shame. I don't particularly like the characterizations, but I've got nothing against the actors and that. Yeah. All right. So, two episodes in. I am not particularly impressed, and part of that is because there's a territory that we're covering here. We've we've already covered recently with the Mandalorian and Boba Fett. Mm. So it's following on after that. I think if you hadn't seen those shows and you'd just been watching some of those animated series, the Star Wars ones, um, Clone Wars, all those ones, Rebels, that sort of stuff, you might be more plugged into this one because there's definitely echoes from those or, Mm. you know, so they've got things going on in this that –
0: I mean, yeah, and I think it's probably more directly plugged into the core thread of, I mean, you said you're fatigued by the whole Skywalker saga stuff, but, like, I think it's interesting because Mandalorian was really striking out on its own, obviously incorporating some known characters and known lore. Same for Boba Fett. But I think here we're actually tapping into, the like, the actual spine of the Star Wars mythology. And so – is that better? Is that worse? You know, it's going to be interesting. I think this. You're right. This series. It's going to be interesting how this develops, because um, maybe again, it has that pressure mm. that comes with being embedded more in in the the core mythology. Yeah, and and less freedom. And and sadly
1: for me, I've lost interest in that after those first three movies, <laughs> as far as it goes. But anyway, this is the thing. Uh, he's great in the role. I think they could do more with it, but I'm willing to watch it to see how far they go with that because it is early days yet. There is another character in this story who I won't go too close to because I don't want to spoil it, but a great companion for Ewan's character in this really well-played fine acting surprisingly so actually yeah. and i was very impressed with that character and i actually would like to see more of that character as we go along mm. in fact kind of stealing the show from you in a little bit in places
0: oh, okay well i mean yeah is it baby yoda all over again <laughs> well there's also
1: uh villains in this of course there are. Mm. And these are the Inquisitors who have obviously been dispatched by Darth Vader to scour the galaxy for remnant Jedi, whether they be full Jedi Knights or Padawan, you know, whether teachers or students or even just people who are a little bit forceful. Um, Vader obviously wants to see the back of all of them just so he can shoot them in it. And, Mm. you know, there's some Interesting stuff with that. Villains are always interesting in the Star Wars universe. Although there's a moment where there's a chase scene in one of these where one of these Inquisitors sets up a kind of a, a trap and crouches on top of a building like Batman, you know, in mm. Black Cloak, all that sort of stuff, and uh, looking for it to pop off somewhere in the city and then they're going to race over there. But they're going to go on foot. Now, I don't care Mm. what sort of powers they've got. That's all very good and a wonderful way to show all that sort of stuff. At the same time, why the hell wouldn't they just get themselves a a, a little flying pod or a a speeder or, you know. If
0: they knew they were going to have to make up that ground. Yeah, yeah,
1: just go, right, bang, I'm there and I can apprehend them and that sort of thing. I just struck a false note and there are actually a few moments in this series that did that to me.
0: I'm going there was another chase scene where I was like this is thoroughly unbelievable yeah. that that this this person is escaping in this manner because it like they are practically standing next to the person and they've not grabbed them like a couple of the action scenes were to me either not choreographed right or yeah, just didn't seem very realistic, and I really—I'm not that nitpicky with that stuff, and so it really stood out then. <laughs> if if I'm I'm quite forgiving, and even if I was like, "Nah, don't believe it."
1: And there was something going on on Tatooine. They were, and this is not really a spoiler. They were harvesting meat from what looked like a big sand manta ray or something—a mm, really big mm, one—and mm, mm, mm. they were yeah. doing this over clearly several days. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Tatooine has two suns and it's a well-known desert planet. How long is meat going to stay
0: good out there? Well, I mean, do you know that much about sand manta flesh? Maybe it's self-preserving. I thought maybe they use some
1: of the the equally well-known spice and they give it a a spice rub before they marinate it.
0: It did look a bit cured. Maybe it had been... Pre-cured. Who's to say the colour to me looked a little pickled? Um, uh, but I guess this is the thing. They're going to just we quickly exit some of those scenarios, yeah, so we yeah. can leave leave that all in dust
1: or sand. Sand yeah, is okay. Sand is horrible. It gets everywhere, and you know nobody. Wants yeah, exactly. <laughs> I felt I I didn't have as much fun watching this as Mandalorian, and mm. that's a pity. But I, I think, yeah, it's carrying the weight of the Skywalker saga with it. So, yeah, we'll see how we go with it. It's Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's on Disney Plus and, you know, for two episodes have already dropped. And more will follow as surely as those two suns set every day. I think
0: there's probably three now. So there's the original drop and so there's probably three in there for you to check out. Yeah.
1: All right, that's a bit about it for Zero G for today and Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. We will continue our tribute to Vangelis with Mm -hmm. his theme for the Cosmos television series, which is one of my favourite shows from back in the day. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster.